When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Winning Plays Podcast on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider for the NBA's winningest franchise. Hey there, and welcome in to the latest edition of the Winning Plays Podcast. My name is Brian Robb, joined by the one and only Ryan Bernardoni. Uh, we are here, Ryan. Training camp is here, and there really isn't a ton going on. And we're going to get to that in a second. Uh, First, I'm going to tell you to subscribe to the Winning Plays podcast, rate, review us uh, on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts on your phone or at home. And Ryan, we're we're podcasting this week. The Celtics are two weeks away from the regular season opener, but not just with the seas, but around the league, there's there's not a lot of training camp buzz out there right now, and I guess that's understandable when no member of the media is allowed to step foot in a in a training camp facility at this point. And even if you could, some players are not willing to talk <laughs> to the media anyway. No, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there's just not a whole lot going on. I think some of it has to do also with uh, it's such a short period here that like they just kind of need to get down to business and like build whatever little bit of continuity they can and and sort of do all their team building stuff in, in a matter of a couple of weeks. So there's just, there's, there's not a, not a ton going on. I mean, obviously the Harden situation is sort of percolating along. Um, I don't think there's actually been anything new particularly there other than that he's, you know, not showing up for work. And then I guess today did show up for work, um, but not, not really a whole lot. And I, I think that's probably what it is, is that everybody's just sort of realizing like, Oh boy, we have games and like really real coming up two weeks from now, we got to get our stuff together here. Uh, so that's most likely what's happening, but the world goes on and everybody needs podcasts. So we are here to, to help everybody with their non-existent commutes. Exactly. So while you're out or that walk and that dog or whatever you need to do to, to fill time. So uh, with that said, every, almost every member of the Celtic uh, roster has talked uh, once during training camp via Zoom. And we haven't done a ton, you know, we've obviously done a ton on, what happened this off season and the long-term implications and trade exceptions. But um, it, it seems pretty certain now that this is, you know, this is the group they're going to go in with to start the season. So we're going to do a little quick hit stuff on everyone on the roster. And um, Ryan and I are going to alternate bringing up guys. We're going to max out um, um, two minutes for each player. Um, just an interesting thought storyline, how they fit into the rotation, anything that comes to mind here. And yeah, I'm going to start off with, I think, um, the biggest, uh, storyline in camp. And so we're going to start with Kemba Walker, um, out till January. Uh, Ryan, we talked about last week, uh, with Mike and Rich on a podcast, who would start more games this year, Kemba or Teague? What, what do you think on that? And how, like, how, much are you going to bubble wrap Kemba? Like what, when's, when's the earliest you want to see Kemba 
realistically, if, even if he is feeling good with, with this, like, program. It seems like the end of January is maybe the most, most likely time um, that he comes back if things go relatively well, right? I guess that's kind of the word, right? If they're saying that they're going to give new updates in the beginning of January, I mean, it's possible to do stock before then. To that particular question, and I think you sort of landed on this answer there as well, like, I don't know if the the Kemba or Teague question is as, like, the perfect way to, to phrase it, because it might just not be Teague who's starting in his place. Right? It's almost field. like, will he will Kemba start 40 games or something like that, right? Will he start more than half the season? And I don't know. Um, I think that I might take the under on that, just because he's also going to have to miss games along the way with all the, you know, anytime there's back-to-backs or things like that. Um, and it's just sort of questionably worth it. You would obviously rather have him ready to go at the beginning of the playoffs than, you know, a couple couple extra games in the regular season or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's not it's not promising what they've been saying, particularly with with what's left um, on his contract and sort of how important he is to, to how this team shapes up. So I would play it safe with him this year. It's going to be such a weird season anyway. Like it's just not worth uh, going nuts with, but. I don't know. I, I, I guess we're only supposed to go two minutes, and I can't only go two minutes on anything. Oh, yeah, was, do you yeah, think he's going to go more than 40 games? I mean, is no, that sort I of think, a number that you think is reasonable? Yeah, I think that's. I think this is the perfect season for him to just baby him as much as possible anyway because just the layout of the season, the number of back-to-backs of this, and the fact that, you know, he didn't have a full offseason anyway. So this is the time to, you know, really test, okay, like, if we do everything right in terms of managing this, is it enough for, like, the playoffs? And if it's not, then that becomes a, a far bigger conversation with him over the long term with this team. Um, but they have to, I think, find that out one way or another this year. And so I'm with you. I think I'm probably taking the under if, if the number is 40. Yeah, that's a little bit scary. But um, I agree. I mean, if you get less games this year and then the playoffs and then healthy going forward, then obviously that's that's what's most important. Uh, so I guess I'm supposed to jump yep. to a jump to a player. You pick um, a player. So I think the sort of natural player to pivot off of with with Kemba is obviously uh, Tatum, but I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction, and I'll actually pick something off a, a Twitter. Right before we had started this, I was we were joking that this is sort of why people do mailbags. I had thrown out like, "Hey, give me topics. We need topics because it's a it's a little bit of a quiet week." Um, and one of the questions that came back was about Jalen, and will he be able to step up into some of that playmaking role with? with Kemba out. I think people assume that, that Jason will because of what he did in the playoffs um, and, you know, smart will pick up and, and Teague and, and others. But the question is sort of, is there, is it realistic that, that Jalen is going to grow into more of a playmaking role as well? And I believe that's something that he did talk about in his press availability. He was asked sort of like, what are his goals for the year? And I think one of them was that, and that's such a huge key for the team going forward. Um, he's sort of like historically low in things like assist percentage and sort of the what we try to use that's a little bit more intelligent than just raw assists. But his raw assist numbers are ridiculously low as well. And and for a, a sort of relatively high usage wing who's probably going to grow in usage, it's really important that he does at least be able to have like some basic pick and roll ability um, and and some secondary playmaking ability to to just sort of make the whole thing run a little bit easier. Uh, particularly, you know, not just with Kemba out, but, but Gordon as well. And so, I mean, I'll throw that, that back to you. Is like, do you think that that's actually a realistic growth goal that like he's going to have a noticeable uptick to the point where he has an assist rate that looks sort of normal for a high usage wing? Or is it like, 
he's so far behind that curve that even if he improves a decent amount, like he still won't really look like much of a playmaker. How much do you think he can, can fill in that gap? Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating question. And I do think that they should try to find out. I think he really hasn't had a ton of opportunity, like, cause he understandably, so like his handle has been shaky early in his career and he's just not a natural passer as what as it is. So there wasn't much reason to put him in that spot when you had three or four guys that could do it better than he could. Now with Kemba out um, and, you know, there's going to be times where he's going to be probably the number one option on the floor when, when Tatum's resting, like you see what you got. I'm, I'm not like super optimistic. I guess the good news is his turnover rate is still pretty low. Like, um, so, um, you know, that could skyrocket a bit if they ask him to start distributing more, but I think you have to find out there. I think you have to find out what he has. Um, I don't think he'll get, ever get to like like league average like assist rate for a wing but I do think that there's definitely it's time to like see what kind of growth is there because they really haven't you know tested that at all yeah I think it's really going to be important that um, I assume that he's going to be playing a lot of that sort of uh, bench unit role that that Jason did last year and it was like wildly successful those Tatum plus bench units just Jason's going to have so much responsibility that Jalen's going to have to play some of that and I think it's important for Stevens to put together lineups that actually make it possible for him to do that. Like you can't have him out there with a lack of spacing, or um, I think if you ask him to run pick and roll, you have to give him an actual pick and roll partner. And so I think that it would help him to be playing with say Tristan Thompson, as opposed to Daniel Tice, who Tice can do certain things. But if you're asking him to run sort of traditional, like we want to see you run sort of college pick and roll sort of stuff, I think it would be helpful for him to be on the floor with, you know, another point guard, Probably, you know, maybe maybe that's what, what Neesmith's role is, is giving him a little bit of space on the floor and Tristan Thompson. It's going to be very important. Whereas last year, the Tatum lineups were sort of like four defenders and Jason Tatum dribbling for 10 seconds on the left wing and then taking a sidestep three. And like, that's good enough to prop the entire thing up and make these good units. You need to have Jalen developing a new skill set. And so you need to play him with the right players to do that is kind of where I come down on, on how successful he'll be. will be a little bit related to that. I agree. I think that's that's going to be something again, especially in preseason games, will be right. Be a really key time to see like how much they're going to experiment with stuff like that because that is you know the time you want to do it, uh, given how quickly and how tough the opponents are right out of the gate to see kind of where they're at on that front. Um, all right, I'm going to go to the the other side of the bench um, or other side of the roster, I should say. But remain at the wing. Uh, this is a guy no one's really talked about. Um, but I do think with the injuries, he could factor in to the rotation early in the year, just like last year. And that's Javante Green. Um, he actually, it's kind of a shame that he got hurt at the end of the, you know, right early in the bubble there too. Um, at least in the playoffs, I should say, because he, you know, I think he, where that, that last game of the season against the Wizards, he played like a terrific game. And given once Hayward went down, they certainly could have used him, um, in a couple of those series just as a, you know, an option to try out in certain lineups against the the Sixers um, or against the Heat and the Raptors at times in that series. Um, but here again, if if the rookies aren't ready to go right out of the gate, and if like Pritchard and Neesmith, like, do you think we'll see any of Green? Or do you think, I mean, you can make the case that the rookies, you know, just playing them should be done anyway because to see what they have. But like, do you expect Green to factor in all to this, you know, to the rotation? I think he has to. Um, they just don't have enough wings and they don't you know just 
there are also the reality of what the schedule is going to be and what's going to happen with COVID and injuries and people hopefully not getting infected. But, you know, 8% of the league, 9% of the league came in with COVID positives. Like there's going to be a lot of players out. And so everybody on every roster is going to have to play. Um, and Javante, I think, is going to have to play more than that bare minimum of like, hey, we have eight players who are available tonight, so you have to play. Like, he's going to have to play more than that. And his minutes last year were not a disaster by any means. Um, he obviously has certain weaknesses, um, particularly around his shooting, but like his athleticism allows him to, to finish. Um, and he doesn't, he's not really a ball stopper. Like he knows what his role is. I wish he was six, six or six, seven instead of six, four, it would, you know, increase his defensive, uh, value quite a bit, but, um, I think he has to play. And if he's, if you're at a situation with the roster right now, where like, if you don't think somebody's going to play, they shouldn't be on the roster. And particularly if they have a non-guarantee we can get into it later when questions of, you know, if we go through the entire roster of like, is it even worth carrying taco? Are you have to, because you're going to have to actually play him um, just because of the reality of the season. So that's where I come down to with, with Javante is that I expect that he will get minutes pretty much right out, you know, right out of the gate. And if he plays as well as he did last year, that's not, you know, that's not terrible. He, he was okay on the floor. So um, that's kind of my expectations for him. Not huge, but um, that's still going to be an important piece this year, I believe. Yeah, I mean, his finishing at the rim was very good for a guy his size, and he can certainly get there. So, I mean, the jump shot is what it is, but he's a guy, like you said, that knows his role. NFL football continues on this week, which has a few surprise teams at the top of the standings, and you might not be able to be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. No matter how the schedules change or players that play, Bet Online is going that extra mile to make sure you can get in on every game this season with the fastest updated odds in the industry. There are always more options to wager than anywhere else online. So head on over to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great midseason bonuses, offers, and contests. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And now back to the show. All right, who do you got next year? Um, well, why don't we go point guards? Um, I mentioned Jeff Teague near the top, and I am going to take Peyton Pritchard mm. um, because somebody has to play point guard. <laughs> right and you can sort of tie these together right it's hard to talk about just him without talking about the other other point guards who are who are in there uh and I think they took they made an, a conscious decision to take a an older you know a, accomplished college point guard and you can say oh you shouldn't draft for need you shouldn't do all these different things but like there's a, a really long history of older four-year senior you know even three-year college players who are were really accomplished he was first team all-american he was the whatever koozie award point guard of the year in in a weird college season um and you don't draft that kind of player if you you know if you aren't intending on playing them and i think that his shooting um gives him some real util you know real use on the team but also the fact it's sort of been talked about that he's six two and tremont waters is five something um and so I expect that he is going to play right away. Um, I don't think he's going to start on, on day one, but like, I think it's going to be that he's getting an opportunity to play real non-garbage time minutes and that he probably has a leg up on, on Tremont right out of the gate. And there's not going to be like huge minutes there because you assume smart will play point and, and Teague, but like, where do you see that race? Do you think that he has an immediate head start on waters or is this like, Hey, you're both starting from a, an equal position and, It'll be, there's just, there's no real preseason. There's no summer league. Like, I don't know how you separate these guys and sort of decide who, 
who's going to be the, you know, your go-to guy at the beginning. So what do you think between those? Yeah. I mean, well, you can, we can just throw a trim on in there for this discussion um, for both of them. Um, yeah. I think there's no question. It's Pritchard for that reason. Like you take a guy at the end of the first round, a four-year senior uh, whose biggest strength has been, you know, your, your bench's biggest weakness in outside shooting. And so, yeah, like that's, you don't take a guy like that to send them to Maine or to, you know, put him behind a, is there a, a sec- league team? Yeah, right. Exactly. There, there is, <laughs> you don't even have that option this year, which makes, yeah. uh, is adds even more, uh, intrigue here. But yeah, like, I mean, Jermaine Waters, I think is, is someone who, um, you know, could carve out a role for himself in the NBA in the next couple of years. But there was, for all the flashes he showed, there was, I still think, you know, there was a lot of sloppiness. There was some, some pretty bad shot selection decisions, uh, for a guy who, you know, he shouldn't be pushing his luck on that front um, on a team like the Celtics were last year. And so, yeah, like if Pritchard can shoot, he's going to play. And because that's something where he has the resume, he has the, you know, the being a first round pick is a signaling that he has the edge there as well over Waters, even though Waters has one year in the system. So it'll be an intriguing batter battle, but if, if Waters is beating him out, I think that's just a, bear, a very bad sign for what the, the pick the Celtics made here is. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, uh, Tremont had a very good G League season, uh, but I think it's hard to overstate how bad he was for the Celtics. Um, for all that we talk about that, you know, Carson just couldn't make shots and that's what would send him to the bench. Like Tremont's true shooting percentage was under 40%. He had a negative assist to turnover ratio. Like it was really ugly um, when he was trying to play at the NBA level. And there wasn't a lot of opportunities, right? It's a very small sample of minutes. There's whatever, nerves. There's not knowing your teammates. There's all the things that you can have as a challenge as a young point guard. He was really bad in those minutes. And I believe that there's a much better player in there. And I am completely fine with them, even if they hadn't signed Teague. It's sort of more difficult if they hadn't signed Teague, knowing now what we do about Kemba's health. If they had come into the season and just been like, yeah, uh, Tremont and 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 Peyton are going to be our third and fourth point guards. And, like, if we need to get a veteran point guard at some point, we'll just get one later in the – you know, we'll get one at the trade deadline or something like that. And that's obviously not exactly the direction it went. And like I said, Kemba complicates that a little bit. But, like, yeah, if, if you draft a guy in the first round and he gets beaten out by a guy who was drafted in the 50s the year before and didn't show anything at the NBA level, then that's not a great sign, especially if they're already a four-year, you know, senior um, coming out. So – that's my thoughts. I think he has a role. I think he's going to have to have a role. And I, I hope that, that he plays and plays well and proves the doubters wrong, I guess, because there are quite a few of them around that pick. Um, but yeah, I guess you're up next with your third choice. Yeah. So let's, let's go to Teague here and kind of finish off the point guard position. I guess my question with Teague, is he, is he starting opening night? And or I'll just put it to the backcourt. I feel like there's three options here. You could have Teague be your starting point guard. You have Smart being your starting point guard to start the season. Or you have Teague and Smart starting together to start the season. Um, with, And then obviously bumping Brown and Tatum up to the three and the four. Um, do you have a preference there? Um, is it very bad if Teague is starting? Like, what, it, what do you, what do we think on this front? I imagine he has, you know, at least the inside track on like, regular minutes, whether they're starter or coming off the bench. I think there's so little playmaking on the bench that they have to have Teague coming off the bench, sort of in a similar way 
to when Smart would come off the bench last year at times, even though he was the sixth man and there was somebody else who was being elevated maybe into a role. And it was sort of like, well, we want to maintain that playmaking coming off the bench is usually what, what Brad would say. I think you have that same situation with Teague, where like if you start both of them together, um, then there's just like nothing. Hey, like Dan Pritchard has them. to be really good. Yeah, it's not only – and it's like those, those bench units where I was saying before, like Jalen is going to have to play some of that role. If you put Jalen into those lineups with like – there's just no help there. And, and that's what I was getting at with like I think you need to dev- you know, sort of devise a lineup where there's somebody who's helping him with – playmaking you can't just give him the ball and say like here you go here's a rookie point guard like you sort of have to get enough playmaking in in those bench units and that might be like Teague and Pritchard and that's where Pritchard's size comes into a little bit more play um along with Jalen and you know like I said Tristan Thompson and Grant Williams or something right like you you have to kind of build a lineup that that works um so to me I don't think Teague should be starting but considering my track record with predicting Brad Stevens rotations (laughs) he will start every single game. So, <laughs> Do you, is, is there any scenario where Smart comes off the bench for that reason, um, just to, to captain, to, like, be – not just because Stevens loves him off the bench, but to, like, be the the, the leader of those guys um, in terms of playmaking and then, you know, out of the gate? I don't know if you can do that to him again, right? Like, right. I mean, that's – They've had this – right? The exodus of talent. And like, I, you can sell a player on, Hey, we need you to come off the bench because we have Kemba Walker and Gordon Hayward and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And we have, or Kyrie Irving or whatever it might be like. I think at some point you have to just say like, you are the third highest paid player on the team. You are the longest tenured player on the team. We talk about how you impact winning. We're going to start you and play you real minutes because, you know, and, and maybe that changes when Kemba comes back and you can sort of make the case at that point. But he's got to start. I just don't think you can, you know, make that case again that he shouldn't be. I would agree. Um, but it'll probably pain Brad Stevens a bit too, because he just, he loves smart off the bench for, for understandable reasons, but that's just a luxury that um, this team can't afford. Now. Did I just bring up smart accidentally here for, is that, does this count as a uh, smart discussion? Sure. We, we may as well, like you said, we can just go through some of these guards and, and try to link them all together without getting, getting too crazy. Um, I, right. I can't talk about Marcus in any sort of <laughs> sane manner because he's my favorite player. Um, and so the, the sort of what I look at with him is there's been this kind of feeling of like, well, the Celtics don't have a captain, but Marcus smart is the winning plays guy, right? This podcast, he's plays this kind of role um, within the franchise that you don't normally associate with like a 26, you know, or 25 or 24, or however long that sort of thing has been going on. And I think that this year is, is interesting um, because it's possible that his time with the Celtics isn't actually going to last all that much longer, which is sort of scary to me. Um, and I think that one of the things that can change that is that he really does sort of, I don't, I don't think of, Tatum and Brown as like super vocal rah-rah guys, right? And Smart has become sort of part of the furniture of the this recent Celtics iteration. And I do wonder if like this is the year where he, if, you know, sort of asserts himself as a captain type figure on the team. It's even more than in the past where it's it's not just on the floor. It's not just sort of leading by example. Like he really becomes a team leader and that 
involved in press conferences and, and things like that. And like, he's sort of a, a go-to guy for that. And that that could somewhat put him into an elevated position with, with the Jays. Um, and I think that that's something that this team probably needs. I also, I don't think Kemba is like Kemba's sort of beloved, but I don't know if he's quite that type of player either. And this season is going to be such a grind just to get through a lot of different challenges that are going to come up and how they're going to have to get, you know, just this kind of really difficult schedule. And so that's kind of what I'm wondering with him this year is I know a player at this point. And is he going to, like, do you see that sort of thing of, like, yeah, do you kind of get what I'm getting at? As I guess what I'm asking is, like, do you see that oh, yeah. going from being I make winning plays to, like, I'm the leader, you know, a leader of this franchise and I am starting and you're not, I'm not going to go, you know, I, I have sacrificed to be a six man. You need me to play 30, 30 something minutes a night and to be front and center with this franchise going forward. Yeah, no question. I think, and I, I, especially with how that Heat series went, I think this is going to be a, a huge, you know, not, not just referendum him, but that, you know, entire core group after that, you know, post game two blow up where you could, you know, no one was in that locker room, but I imagine the, the back and forth there, Smart obviously was importantly one of the hottest ones on the scene. And there's no question that he's been sacrificing and doing the dirty work for this team for, for years and that some guys on that team weren't doing in that series. At the same time, I thought, you know, his shot selection in that series was, you know, dismal at times, and that hurt the team too. So the if I think the him finding, you know, going into that role and also, like, not just talking to talk, but, like, walking the rock in terms of, like, scaling stuff like that back to where he is on just yep. a playing field where he can, you know, speak out and then – but he can't have it thrown back in his face at all. I think that's – that's the key. And I think that's where, you know, obviously he wants to be and where the team wants him to be. And I think it, it doesn't, it won't take much for him to get there. Like he's been that player before in his career and he just kind of got away from that. Understandably so with Hayward out, he was, and you know, teams kind of daring him to shoot, but if he can kind of reel that back in and become that, you know, perfect fit from that standpoint, I think that allows him to kind of become the guy that you, you're talking about there. Yeah, no punching picture frames. The team needs you <laughs> Check. to be there, right? They need you to be on the floor and available at this time. They need you to be a decision maker at, at a higher level um, on the floor. And that sort of leads you to a position where you can do that off the floor. And again, you know, we've been talking about point guards. He was drafted as a point guard and he hasn't had a ton of opportunity to play as point guard. Uh, really, there was like one little gap between like Rondo and Isaiah Thomas where it was like, hey, you're a point guard right now just now for these like 20 games um and he's gonna have to to play point and he's gonna have to act like a point guard and and like a leader and I think that's really a, I guess what I'm getting at is like it becomes a 24-7 responsibility as opposed to uh you know at times I'm gonna like you said be the you know get into a get into somebody's face in the locker room or something like that and so that's what I'm looking for from him um more than any specific on-court thing because like I said I think we know what he is I think we know what he is as a player when he's good and when he's bad and more good, less bad uh, leads to uh, a, sort of a new position within the franchise this year. As some of these younger players, there's, there's nobody, nobody blocking them anymore. Like there's no, there's very few veterans ahead of them now. So um, time to, to show that they've uh, learned lessons these last couple of years, I think. All right. Who do you got? Since I just stole smart from you there, bringing it up. Oh, I thought that was my turn. Okay, well, okay, here we do that. Uh, we'll say that's your turn then. Um, I am going to bring up uh, – let's go to Tristan Thompson. Um, out for the beginning of camp with a hamstring injury, 
Um, they no ruling yet on his status for opening night. What do you do if you're the Celtics training staff here? Um, do you, I guess, and also does this make him just more likely to come out, come off the bench right out of the gate here if he's not, you know, if they're going to have to ease him into it? I assume he'll be coming off the bench just because how, how's he going to get any sort of anything with the team? And like I said, I think there's some, um, sort of lineup construction reasons that he might be a good option to be coming off the bench anyway, particularly before Kemba comes back and when that they're going to, have some trouble even running like competent offense, having a guy who can set really good screens and goes into the right positions and all that is, is helpful. Uh, I think so. I'm assuming that he will be coming off the bench. Uh, you know, one of the things that worries me with him is that this isn't, this doesn't seem to be a major injury, right? It's a muscle, muscle pull sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I think that's right. Right. It's a muscle. Yeah. It's like a hamstring. Injury. Yeah. It's a hamstring. Yeah. Like minor hamstring strain. It sounds like. So I'm a big soccer fan particularly European soccer. And one of the things that's happening over there in, in the European leagues is that they've been tracking something like a 25 to 30% increase in muscle injuries this year because of their condensed schedule. And so that's something that I worry about is like rushing guys back on muscle injuries, things like that, because you have this difficult schedule already and you need sort of all hands on deck and uh, a little bit of short-term, long-term thinking here of like, these things are going to be a problem. There are going to be additional injuries that come from fatigue and and a lot of that's going to be injuries and he certainly had his share of them over time he's got a lot to begin with um so yeah he will be coming off the bench to begin with and then it it needs to be closely managed from there because you just don't want to be in a position where you keep uh, losing guys to that kind of injury yeah and i agree like they're the the competition is really daunting out of the gate but like you said that's you do have, I mean, the center position is a place where you can, you know, you do have some competent options there beside him. And so, yeah, like you might as well take the extra week or two. Maybe when he does come back, he's on, you know, limited to 10, 15 minutes, something like that right away, just to to keep them bathing it. And like you said, not have it turn into a an issue that, that pops up again all year. Cause like for as durable as he was early in his career in Cleveland, he was, and I mean, I'm sure they rested him for a bunch of games the last couple of years, but he has been nicked up quite a bit uh, since LeBron left town in Cleveland. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, that naturally leads us into to my next choice. I'm sure you'll be shocked to hear me pick Robert Williams. Oh my gosh. Another of my favorites. Uh, the, I believe he has revealed that he was surreptitiously watching uh, Aaron Baines and, and Al Horford uh, without yeah, to, to learn about how to become a pro. He's talking about getting low in a stance. Um, he was, I think, what well, his Zoom Zoom was today, right, where he was talking yes. through everything. And that need to manage the Thompson minutes in particular, there's obvious an obvious silver lining to that, which is that Time Lord needs to be playing. We've talked about this. You know, we talked about this, I think, in the pod right after they announced the, the Thompson signing to begin with, or that it was leaked, whatever. Uh, we don't want to end up in a position where Tyson and Thompson are playing 46 minutes a night combined, and we just never get to see Time Lord or he's playing in lineups that like structurally don't make sense where he's playing next to Tristan Thompson or something. You're like, oh, this is set up to fail, right? This is the reason that they look bad is because this is set up to fail. Uh, And so the question I think we all have with Rob is, do you believe that there's an, like, that he can get to a position defensively where Brad will trust him enough to actually play him this year? Or is this like a, you know, 
getting to a cut bait time where 20 games in if he hasn't played, like it's just never going to happen. What are you looking for early in the season from, you know, from a defensive perspective for him? Is it just that he's on the floor or are there like key indicators there or things that you'll be looking for with his early season performance? I mean, to be honest with the way you played in the bubble in Orlando, I think it's for me with him, it's like, is the offense remained as good as it was down there to outweigh the defensive deficiencies. Like I think, you know, small improvements in the regular season are to be expected in year three, but I'm not expecting I like him to be able to navigate a pick and roll defense well, or even, you know, you know, get out in the perimeter well uh, when needed. Um, but the fact that he was still able to contribute at a, at a pretty high level in the postseason and definitely in those regular season games down there where he was, I think, probably the best center in the roster um, before the playoffs started, like that's enough where it's like, okay, he's, those minutes should be like, I think those minutes are already earned in my mind. And it's just like, can he, you know, build upon that and be, continue to be the rolling force and, you know, be a little less tentative around the rim and maybe, you know, show off some passing here and there that he showed a few glimpses of and like become close to a competent, you know, average defensive center, then that's, that should be plenty, whether he gets there or not remains to be seen, but I definitely think the minutes need to be there for, I don't think uh, a quick leash, even when Thompson is back, I think should be, you know, out of the question. Yeah. I mean, my fear there is the same fear that I've, that I had last year during the playoffs, which is that it feels like you can go to Brad Stevens and be like, look, when, when Robert Williams is on the floor, we score 1.3, points per possession and we give up 1.2 like that's a huge advantage and he would look at him and be like we give up 1.2 that's it and like just won't play I mean you'll be like no 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 but we score 1.3 points per possession and be like we give up 1.2 you just like can't shift him shift Brad off of that to like Robert Williams is a a pretty exceptional offensive player and for all that he came in with being the defensive player of whatever conference, I don't remember what conference he played in because the conferences mm-hmm. don't make any sense in college basketball. Um, he was you know, defensive player of the year two times in his conference. And it's just like at the NBA level, he's just a really talented offensive center. Um, and so while I agree with you that his offense can outweigh the defense, I just continue to wonder if you can ever convince Brad Stevens of that. And that's what I'm looking for in the first you know, 10, 15, 20 games is like when he makes defensive mistakes, you just got to let it go. You know, it's a learning moment, whatever, but like you can't take him off the floor for that um, on a regular basis anyway. I agree. And that's going to be, it's going to be fascinating to watch to see how that's managed once everyone gets healthy, because that could quickly turn into a situation where um, he's buried again. If, if Thompson and Tyser are, uh, turning into this team into a, a strong defensive team. Um, all right. I'm limiting this next player. One minute discussion, one minute limit here. Carson Edwards. Um, any chance of him breaking out of the rotation behind Udo's of guards? Um, even despite all these injuries, there's still like, you'd think five players ahead of him to play um, to start the season. Yeah. I mean, injuries and illness, right? That's the question. Does he get on the floor due to injuries and illness? Um, I don't know if he's an NBA player. Obviously, at you know, after summer camp last year, it was like there's like at legitimate, like seemingly like star potential there. And there's lots of little shooting guards who look great in that setting, but it was like, yeah, I mean, what you're looking at here is like there's a one percent chance that he's something, you know, something real here that's better than just like a, a tenth man 
and it turns out he might be a 16th man and just there's there's not really anything there so I think injuries and illness is how he gets on the floor and other than that uh you know I, I don't think either of us see it right no um unless he has a great camp behind closed doors but I don't again there's you don't take Payne Pritchard if you believe in Carson Edwards um, I know they're not, I know he's not a point guard, but it's just like, given how many players you have at that position already, like that's, that's not a way for him to get on the floor. If he has to, you know, need to beat out one more guy on top of all the youth that's already here. Yeah. Um, so I'll go to the the other shooter. Who's not a point guard. Uh, and that's, that's Neesmith who I know they are Seemingly, everybody's kind of downplaying what kind of role he'll play at the beginning. They're talking about how oh, he's, you know, come in and he seems like a guy and he's picking up what he can, but there's a steep learning curve. And, you know, he had this sort of funny question about, can you help replace Gordon Hayward? And I think <laughs> something like, I don't know, I've never played in the NBA. And like, that's true, okay. he's never played in the NBA. Uh, but he's going to, another guy, he's just going to have to play because Ojale and for all that we talked about, Javante is going to have a role. Uh, they are not shooting threats of, of any real kind. Grant Williams. From the corners, maybe we'll see whether he can space the floor at all. Romeo isn't really a floor spacer to begin with, but also is going to be injured for, for however long. And so Neesmith is going to play. Um, and he needs to make shots, which is obviously the problem that Carson Edwards had is primarily is that he just didn't make shots. And, and there's not a whole lot you can do about that. Either they go in or they don't, right? Um, sometimes you go cold at a bad time or, or whatever it might be. Um, to me, like I look at him and I think that, that the key that we're looking for is again to talk about like what is gonna keep him on the floor or not is something similar to what we saw with Romeo Langford, where you came in thinking, Oh, this is an offensive pick, like this is a guy who can he provide a little pop off the bench. It turned out he was actually a really strong defender. Neesmith is gonna be defending bigger players, I think, just because he is a bigger guy. I think some of the assignments that normally go to Ojale, they're gonna hope that Neesmith can hold up in them. Uh, so that's really what I'm looking for, for for him as well, is like, can he stay in front of his man? Right. At the NBA, at the NBA level can he move his feet quick enough to stay in front of his man where he's not getting, getting burned because he's going to play either way, I think. And his shooting is going to, you know, it's variable. The, the shooting's going to be there. So he can give himself a baseline of, of legitimate uh, execution on the defensive end that, that makes him a, you know, you don't expect him to be a, a particularly valuable player as a rookie, but somebody who's not a tire fire <laughs> um, is kind of what I'm looking for right out of the gate for a completely unfair for, for a guy who didn't, again, didn't get summer league, isn't going to get preseason, but Sends the breaks these days. He's going to have to play, right? Yeah, I mean, I again, it's it's tough to tell when we we can't really see what's going on in camp. Um, and I'd be surprised at this, but I do think he's kind of like a sneaky starting five candidate to start the year. Um, Brad Stevens can go in a number of different directions there, um, assuming Smart plays the one. Um, but if you do that, you know, if you throw Neesmith in there as a you know a two or a three, and you can maybe hide him defensively a little bit, put him on the weakest, you know, offensive player in the floor against opponents, and then obviously maximize spacing around Brown and Tatum in that group. Now, the question is for, you know, can he hold up defensively and is, are you better off, you know, needing his spacing on the bench with the second unit more, but at the same time, like you have a kind of a spot to kind of hide someone in that starting five. And I think he's, you know, a candidate for that. Yeah. I mean, so a lot of this is just like physical appearance and measurables, but if I don't think he can make it to the level that they really need him to, if he's having to be, if they have to hide him on defense, 
I think that it's probably a better position to put him in to just play him on bench units and say, you're going to defend a legitimate NBA rotation wing. You're not going to defend the best wing on the team, but like you're going to defend a sixth or seventh man and you just kind of have to throw him into not the deep end, but whatever, you know, the medium end. I don't know. It's not the shallow end. It's a, and you have to give him a a little bit of an opportunity there to, to try to swim with that. And again, I go back to Ojale, like it's, can he, Ojale is not a great defender, right? He is a stable defender who keeps his man in front of him. He doesn't get steals or blocks. He doesn't really like do anything defensively. Um, I think that's sort of what you're looking for is like, can Neesmith be Ojale with a jump shot, (laughs) you know, early on in his career. And if he can be, then that's a useful player who you you can, you know, continue to use and and develop. And if he's not, like, it's going to be a challenge where he's going to be losing minutes to green and, and, and again, Ojale. Um, So to me, I get what you're saying on a starting from a starting perspective, particularly on offense. Um, But I think for his development, it's probably best to just sort of say like, we're going to give you these minutes. We're going to give you this assignment. And it's your job to like not get, not just get wrecked and and see what happens. Well, you just brought him up, and I didn't even think about this. Could Ojale start? <sighs> I I fear that. I mean, I think that it has to be Grant Williams if they go that route. I would. They're hope looking so. for somebody to play at that spot. It just it has to be right. Like he's just so much better, and they've got more invested in him and, and all that. I I just think it would have to be. Okay. But yeah, I live in fear of that because because Sammy Ojale's biggest fan apparently is. Brad Stevens. I don't know. Right. Uh, he, he's obviously sees something in him that like nobody else does, including Matt. And that's, again, he's, that's someone who's not taking away shots from anyone else in that lineup, which they'll want. Um, and obviously knows the system. So, but I, I, he's, he's slid into that role before, but like you said, I would think Grant Williams would be the guy there. So, so that concludes our Ojale talk. That was, that was my next person. Um, who do you got? Um, well, I'll kick it back to you. I'll take Romeo Langford and we can talk about that for three seconds and then you can, you okay, can treat again. I'll, <laughs> I'll give you the, the Ojale treatment back. Um, I have nothing to say about Romeo Langford other than that. It's really unfortunate. There, there'd be like a huge opportunity for him to play here. It's, it would be important for the franchise to develop him, particularly in terms of like, you know, stuff we've talked about, like, how are you going to use this traded player exception? If you knew what Romeo Langford was, it would be easier to put together trade packages and things like that. Uh, for him or for other players, because you'd feel more comfortable about moving other players if you knew that he was going to be able to perform. So it's just really unfortunate. It's obviously now three years of just like these injuries that he's tried to play through and then playing through them has cost him down the line. And there's, you know, it's, so I really don't have anything to add other than that. I just kind of feel bad about it and and wish that it had all been resolved back in Indiana. And then last year, you know, he didn't try to, to play through it and then end up getting punished for it. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on it, but that's just where I come down. I like him, but who knows? If you can't get on the floor, you can't get on the floor. Yeah. I think we would be talking about him as a potential starter right now, too, if he was healthy. Um, he probably would be the starter. Right, he right. He might be the favorite, honestly, because that, like, from a defensive standpoint, what he showed, and, you know, you wouldn't need the offense from him with that group. So that – but, um, yeah, they're going to – going to be a real tough spot to get thrown into the mix in the middle of the season. Um uh, coming back with pretty much a team that's probably not going to be practicing at all um, in the midst of this condensed season. So really bad break, but um, hopefully he's coming back um, fully, fully healed and able to kind of jump in and maybe establish some, uh, some value for himself. Um, 
All right, yeah. So we we, we probably don't have to do any other discussion. So let's go to Grant Williams. Um, I'll, is he the favorite to start out of all potential wildcard options, even uh, even after Kemba Walker uh, returns to the lineup? He is my favorite option to start. I don't know if that makes him the favorite to start, um, but yeah, he's who I would start. Um, I think it's just makes the most sense in in terms of construction of a of a rotation and, and also maximizing him as a player, I, I would start him. Yeah. I mean, if I the think three, you said you would be right. Yeah. I mean, I think that if you, the only thing that kind of concern, I guess it's not really a concern in terms of, you know, having someone versatile, you know, come off the bench in a, in a big role. Cause you're, you're kind of stuck with, you know, Rob Williams and Tristan Thompson. So those are like non-stretch options coming off the bench as, as bigs, but you can, you can pretty easily work the rotation where, you know, he gets an early rest or Tice gets an early rest. And that's, you know, is an option that's going to be there for, for Brad Stevens to have one of those guys that can at least have the threat of shooting a three on the floor um, playing in those spots. But yeah, like if you want someone who can kind of hold their own defensively and is a good communicator and, whose three-point shooting seems to really have come around the corner um, quite well uh, in at least the second half of the season in the place in the playoffs. Then yeah, like I, I think that um, assuming that he should continues the trajectory during this training camp, like that's, that's a guy that Brad Stevens can trust. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's much more to, to say on him, to be honest, other than that, it's just, does he make the shots? And other than that, you know, you can trust him and we'll see how he sort of, develops from from that point um because we made it this far without talking about as well knockout i'm assuming we're not going to really i have nothing to add on taco i are probably just going to skip taco right yeah <laughs> um so uh two players left then and, and the non-tatum player is daniel tice who is probably the least interesting player to talk about on this roster right like he's obviously he hasn't been in the league very long but he's an older player i think we know exactly what he is at this point which is um a, a clear positive at center um, one of those situations where, like, the day he becomes properly paid, he becomes less of a positive, and that may that, that day may be coming. So another thing that we have talked about is I don't know if he makes it through the entire season on this team. Um, it's probably intelligent for the long-term planning for the team that he doesn't, especially that that Tristan Thompson has a second year on his deal, and, and this is the end of Tyson's contract. But um, he's just such, like, a stable player and I think that that is a lot of where his value is going to be this year in terms of like continuity coming out of the short camp and then you know what you're getting from him every night unless he gets in foul trouble which I guess you know he's getting in foul trouble every night as well but um and, and that's I think that's something that's probably more valuable this year than at other times where it's just like hey we've got this guy and we don't have to worry about him he's not going to do anything dumb he may not do anything like incredible but we need players to go out there every single night to take the floor and execute some kind of game plan um, when we're probably going to have a lot of different players resting or getting injured or getting sick or whatever and, and trying to, to play on really short rest. And, like, I just think that he will have a little bit of an additional hidden value this year in that terms of just, like, I am Daniel Tice and I am German efficiency on the floor. <laughs> um, and I know that's not exciting. That's why he's the second-to-last player we're talking about here. But it's a real thing that the team is going to You have, you have big Daniel Tice takes. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I actually thought about this a little more. Like, in training, it makes uh, plenty of sense for the reasons you went over. Um, but I do wonder on that front, like, 
if you're the front office, like, can you really trust like Tristan Thompson and Rob Williams to stay healthy? Um, like, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe they'll show otherwise this year, but you know, Rob Williams has not been able to do that in his career, uh, like going back to college and Thompson hasn't for the last few seasons. So when you combine that with Tice, with, you know, the center market being just so, you know, the prices are pretty good for bargain based on shopping. Like, I don't think he's going to command a, a huge salary next year either. So like it, if he continues to play well, like, and you don't think, you know, a, a team's going to be coming after him hard, like you can probably get him back at a decent number that fits your budget, even as you, you go into the tax. But, but I guess you hope that Rob Williams, you know, breaks out to a point where, you know, you don't really need him anymore. I mean, it comes back to that conversation of like, if that's what you're planning on, then trade Robert Williams. Right. I guess it's what one of the, the point. What is the point of this other, um, you know, you, you, you are not going to be playing three centers on a regular basis, especially in the playoffs when you only play a single big most of the time. And I know they've talked about having to play two bigs at some point, but I just assume that that means Grant Williams at the four. I he did say tight at the four. The three. Yeah, he does. Okay. I mean, <laughs> Like break glass in case of emergency, right? If you have no other option, but it just seems like such a bad solution to the to that problem. And I agree that you might then need to go out and sign whatever. There's no not being a G League is sort of like gets me here because it's like you go sign the best center of the G League, um, or you go and sign a veteran who's just sort of hanging out there uh, into the year for the minimum or something like that. If you do end up trading him or somebody gets, this is where you can really make a little bit of hay on the buyout market, right? Is if you're trading Tice at the deadline and then a veteran gets bought you bring him in with some amount of a role, something like that. Uh, and it's not to say that you have to trade him. He doesn't have like a ton of trade value. I don't think it's right. Especially on an expiring contract. It's more like if there's a package deal of some kind looking to trade a pick and you need to send out somebody for a matching contract and he's got some positive value, but like, I just, you add up the numbers and, and you wrote about this right on, on Boston sports journal um, where you were sort of looking at next year's free agency, even and like you just do the numbers and 3% cap growth means that there's under the luxury tax with assuming Tatum makes 30% to bring back any sort of like, there's no luxury space in the roster for like, Oh, we're going to hold three, three centers who we think all can play. It's like, Nope, you get two in a minimum. And then Grant Williams has to cover some center minutes. You, you can't be paying right. three of them. <laughs> um, and that's where it comes down to. Like if we, if the salary cap was going to be $120 million or whatever, you know, next year, then, then you'd have a little bit of wiggle room. And it's just, it's not going to be. And so there won't be. Um, and that's where I come, come down to with him. But uh, for now, he's a really stable player. And if they're on, you know, if they're going to be the two seed, then it's, we talk about, we have talked about recently about needing to use draft picks to go out and get like rental players and things like that to help you improve your in-season. Not trading him could be the equivalent of trading for somebody else if you're in that position of like, listen, we know we're going to lose him at the end of the year, but we're the two seed and it's fine. What are we going to do with a second round draft pick? Right. Like that's also viable. But, um, right. Let's that, see what the, yeah. you test them out. Um, okay. So let's uh, wrap this up with uh, Jason Tatum. And I guess I'll, I'll, I'll throw this question out as, as a discussion point. How many minutes are you playing J- Jason Tatum a night this season? Um, a very good question. Like, cause a pretty tough balance there in terms of how much you need him out there for and what is managing him over what will be a pretty brutal 72 game grind where you really can't afford to lose him for any significant 
period of time. Yeah, I mean, they are going to have to sacrifice some number of wins this year. Now, everybody's going to have to sacrifice wins this year. I, I assume that the entire league is going to contract a little bit towards the middle, which is the way things are going to work, and that there isn't going to be any team that's on a 68-win pace or anything like that. You don't have, have teams that are out there. They're going to have to sacrifice some wins, and the way that they sacrifice wins is by resting Jason Tatum. Now, they will they are only allowed to rest him in games where they are not on national television, apparently. But So there's going to be games where he sits, but those don't impact minutes per game, right, um, if he just doesn't play at all. So – 34, right? Is that where he was around last yeah. year? I mean, he played 40 in the playoffs. Yeah, I think he led the league in minutes per game in the playoffs, um, at least for players who advanced in the first round. I, I actually don't know. But he was up there. He's over 40 minutes in the playoffs. And part of the reason he had that 25-10-5, you know, 25 on the five assist stat line is because he was playing a ton of minutes. Uh, and he had great production on a, you know, per possession basis and all that. But, like, he just was constantly on the floor but that's because that was, they were deep in the playoffs and that was the only option. So that's kind of where I land is like 34 ish less 30. It might even be 32 minutes, something like that, where you just need to manage that. And then also he's not going to play 72 games. Even if he's healthy, he's not going to play 72 games because he's too important to play 72 games for 35 minutes a night. Um, I don't know. I mean, do you think it's possible they even try to keep him below that or is that sort of where you are too? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I was thinking, hey, it was going to go up from 34, but when just hearing you talk about it, it makes me think, well, no. And then actually, guess where he ranked in the NBA last year in minutes played per game at 34.3. Uh, 15th, 20th, somewhere in that range, I would. 26. Is that, is it that low? Or, or, or tied, which is pretty much tied for 22nd with a bunch of guys at 34.3. So like, because minutes per game have been coming down for star players. They really the did, but I realized how much they did. Like, I I would have thought that thirty four is like, ah, oh, it's a decently high number, but I'm sure there's still like fifty guys that played more than that. But no, it's they uh nobody played forty, right? I don't think anybody. No, played no, 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 no. Lillard was the only guy that was it. Yeah, Lillard led the league at thirty seven point five. So oh, so not even thirty eight. Yeah, not even thirty eight. Um, so I would imagine this year that like probably just comes down. Like, I'd be surprised if anyone broke thirty six. Um, Tibbs is back in the league. That's true. RJ Barrett will be at 40. Um, but yeah, it is, it's, it'll be interesting to see how that's managed. Cause like you said, it's going to be balancing, you know, wins versus keeping him fresh as can be. Since I know, I, I mean, by the end of that heat series, it looked like he was definitely running on fumes, at least in parts of those games. Um, and that could have been they an injury like- too. If they play him like 25 minutes a night, maybe he won't make all NBA. <laughs> and then they won't have to pay him 30%. <laughs> I do think like with everyone in bag healthy in the league, like it's, I don't think it is. I mean, I think it's likely, but I don't think it's a slam dunk. He makes all NBA. Like he's going to have to play really well again. And I expect him to, but like, even if he does, there's going to be some pretty formidable competition there for, for those one of those six spots. If he doesn't, even I agree, there's very formidable um, competition there. But if he doesn't, it's like trouble. It's trouble. <laughs> I mean, it's good for that like little bit of like, hey, you don't have to pay him quite that much because uh, they got no concessions in his extension, which is uh, problematic. But um, I can see him being deserving and also like, not getting it. Like I can see him being like the seventh guy, yeah, guy there. And like that means that he's the 15th best player in the league this year, and move forward that um that I heard like he needs to be the seventh best player in the league like he needs to be an MVP conversation 
he needs to be in second team all NBA at the worst sort of level. Um, and I think that's possible. He's also going to be 23 years old and it's possible that, yeah, he'll take a little bit of a step back or a sideways, you know, a sideways step. And then some player will come back to, to health and jump over him. And, and yeah, some of it's name recognition. Like if Durant plays 60 games, he's probably going to get in no matter, you know, no matter what, something like that. So um, I get it that he could be deserving and, and then not get it, which is probably the best thing. If he was like deserving of second team all NBA, but then didn't get it, like he would not love that, but, <laughs> but it would help, help on other fronts. Um, but I hope that he wins. I hope that he's a serious MVP candidate, obviously, and that, that nothing else really matters because that would solve a lot of problems for the franchise. Um, that would, but that would be yeah. a case scenario for sure. Um, all right. That's it. We did it. I think we did. We'll have to go back and check the tape in terms of. I'm marking them off. We didn't get to taco. We did not talk about taco. taco. I mentioned taco because I have nothing to talk about with taco. I, I really, I think he might have a place in the NBA. I don't know if he has a place on this team, but obviously he does technically have a place on this team right now. So um, it's interesting. Interesting that they chose to bring him back uh, instead of, because these two-way guys can play. They're going to have to play. Yeah. So I guess we're covering taco right now. We'll, we'll talk about time <laughs> at the very end of the, the, put it as the headline though, because that'll get the list. That'll get the listens. Um, the taco fall podcast. Right, these guys are going to play. They're all going to have to play some amount, and they expend they extended the the two way availability so that they can. And can he actually get on the floor for a team that's trying to win games, or should he be on the floor? I have questions about that, but I guess we're going to find out. We certainly are, especially if Rob Williams or someone else gets hurt um, when Tristan Thompson is still down. So. Uh, fans will not go wild. Exactly. There will be no peer pressure on Brad Stevens this year. Um, will be the, the wild card in that front. But, all right. Uh, also no sport coat. Yes. We'll we say that for next. No peer pressure on Brad no, Stevens no, and no, no suit on Brad Stevens. He's living free with the, the polo or whatever he goes with. Um, all right. Make sure you follow Ryan at DangerCart on Twitter. Um, and you can check me out at Brian T. Rob. Check the podcast out at Winning Plays Pod. And we will be back with you guys next week. Maybe we'll we're gonna have to try a four man pod one of these times, Ryan. We're gonna see if we want to create the chaos theory after that first preseason game next week. So we'll 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 see how we'll see how our rotation works. It worked so well with the Celtics Big Four that we we'll just have to try. <laughs> Just wait. Just wait, Evil. All right. We'll talk to you guys next week.